Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. We read together this morning, verses 17 through 26. Luke 5, verse 17. This is God's Word. Dr. Luke writes, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray again and ask him to help us as we study his word this morning. O Lord, would you open our eyes so that we might see extraordinary, marvelous things in your word. Lord, help us to taste and to see that you are good, to long for the pure spiritual milk of the word so that by it we might grow up unto salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as school started back up again this past week, it was, it was wild to see all of the, the students all grown up, all right? Those who were in preschool last year were now in kindergarten, walking with their kindergarten teacher, coming here to chapel uh, those who uh, were in second and third grade, seems like they were in preschool just last year, right? And, and those who were in preschool when I got here in 2014 are in middle school now, right? And, and so to see children grow and to see uh, the maturing process happen really is an amazing thing. Children are a constant visual reminder that our, our bodies are always growing, right? Always maturing. Uh, growth is the natural, the normal mode of existence for a child. If a child stops growing, when they ought to be growing, right, we, grow, we grow worry and concern. We run tests to see if something is, is wrong. Growth is normal. Well, in, in the scriptures, it's no accident that the life of a Christian is often compared to the life of a human. Right? Becoming a Christian is called being born again. Right? Peter calls us to be like newborn babes who, who long for the pure milk of the words so that by it we might grow up unto salvation. Uh, the church as a whole in Ephesians 4 is called to, to grow up and like a mature man. Right? 
Just as physical growth is normal, is expected in a human, so spiritual growth is normal and to be expected in the life of a believer, of of a Christian. If there's not growth, right, a lack of growth, and particularly a lack of a desire to grow, uh, then something's wrong, right? We ought to be alarmed and, and worried for if that lack of growth or lack of even desire to grow, if that continues indefinitely, then no matter what profession of faith one has made, uh, it is becoming more and more evident as time goes on that, that God has not yet caused this person to be born again, right? They are still dead in their sins and trespasses. Well, this morning, I want us to, to step into Dr. Luke's examining room, as it were, And to let him measure us, let him measure our growth in in three particular areas. First, are you growing in your faith? Second, are you growing in your knowledge of your greatest need? And third, are you growing in your understanding of who Jesus is? All three of these questions are pressed upon us by the story before us. This is an amazing story on several levels, isn't it? And when I read it, I... I'm reminded of that famous picture that I'm sure you've seen at some point in your life. If you haven't, you can Google it, right? It's the picture of the children in Paris watching a puppet show. It was taken in 1963 by a man named Alfred Eisenstadt. I think that's how you pronounce his name. The children are watching a puppet show of St. George and the Dragon. And the photographer has captured the, the thrill and the shock of the very moment when St. George slays the dragon. And if you remember this picture, you, you remember the, that some of the children in the picture are screaming in celebration, right? Arms outstretched. Other children have their hands over their ears because of all this streaming. And then there's one little girl with a round face, right? Whose face has stuck with me ever since I, I saw this, this picture, right? She looks like She's five or six. She's wearing a, uh, what's probably a hand-crocheted little bonnet, maybe a hand-knitted sweater. And the look on her face right, is one of, of sheer astonishment. Her head is cocked back a bit. Her eyes are wide. Her mouth is open. Right? Sheer astonishment. Sheer, perhaps even amazement, and, and maybe even some aghast. Right? She's appalled at what she's seeing what in the world is happening, right? Did I just see that? What is going on here? Are you kidding me? That's the look on her face. And when I think of this story and read through it, it's that look that I think must have been on the faces of the characters here. As Jesus says and does the things that he says and does, as the action unfolds. And so I want you to to keep that, that little girl's look in your mind as we walk through this text together this morning. So, so let's, let's look with Dr. Luke at these questions that he wants to press upon us. And the first one is this, are you growing in your faith? If you grew up in the church, I'm sure you know this story, right? Jesus is teaching in a house. Mark tells us it's in Capernaum. Uh, and because of his previous ministry, uh, he's become so famous that, that he's even attracted the attention of the religious and intellectual folks there in Israel. Right? Pharisees, teachers of the law from as far away as Jerusalem, Judea, every village in Galilee have come to this house. Right? They're sitting in the house. They're listening to Jesus teach. It's a full house, literally. And like it happens even today, right? there is always someone running late. Right? And there's this group of men, four, Mark tells us, 
who had come to the house carrying their paralyzed friend on some sort of a cot so that they could bring him before Jesus to be healed. But because of the crowd, there is no way for them to get to Jesus. And so what do they do? Well, they say, we've got to get him to Jesus. They go up to the rooftop. In those days, Israel, Israelite houses would have been built with, with a flat roof with stairs on the outside. And so they go up the stairs, they go to the top, and they begin to, to dig a hole through the, the baked mud roof tiles and, and certainly the, the, the mud and the thatch that would have made up roofs in those days. And they lower their friend down through the roof right before Jesus. Now, again, remember the, the little French girl, everyone thinking, what in the world is going on here, right? Because imagine, it wouldn't have taken just a short amount of time, right, to dig a hole in this roof, right? There would have been debris falling, right? Jesus would have been teaching. His teaching would have been interrupted. Right? They had to, big, to dig a hole big enough to, to lower a person on a cot through, right? Imagine being the owner of this house, What's going on here? Right. And, and the, the man is, is lowered right before Jesus. Certainly he would have had to stop teaching at some point. Everyone would have been looking at these four guys up top and, and this man coming down from the roof. Now Luke tells us that when Jesus saw their faith, he immediately forgives the man his sins and eventually is going to heal him of his paralysis. The power of the Lord, Luke tells us, was, was present, was with Jesus to heal. And he exercises that power in response to their faith. And what a faith it was. What a faith it was. When they had heard that Jesus was in town, that he was at this particular house, they thought, we have to get to him. We must bring our friend because Jesus will be able to help. They believed that Jesus was able to restore their friend to full motion again. And, and their faith was demonstrated, wasn't it? And their persistence, their grit, their dogged determination, their ingenuity to get to Jesus, to get their friend to Jesus. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again, right? They are, they are going to figure out a way. Faith is, is not some ethereal, mystical thing that sort of sits back and waits and watches. Faith works, right? Faith makes a way to the way maker. Faith acts. It carries stretchers and climbs stairs and digs through roofs and lowers ropes. Faith is an active thing. Right? They had entire confidence in Jesus, entire confidence that, that he could do what they needed. And so they had courage to overcome whatever obstacle they found to get to Jesus. And let's be Let's be sure, it wasn't just the friends who had faith, right? The, the, the par paralyzed man himself had faith, as we see later when Jesus tells him to, to stand up and to take up what he's lying on and to walk. The man does it. He believes that by the word of Jesus, he is made well. And so Luke asks us, what about us? What about you? Are you growing in this same faith? And is your faith evidencing itself in, in tangible ways? As you face the trials and the tribulations of this coming week, do you believe more this week than you did last week that, that God is with you? Right? That his power, his mercy, his grace is present with you. That, that he is a sovereign God who knows all things, right? who will provide for all of your needs. 
And in your faith, are you becoming less anxious, more settled, more settled in the reality that God is all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, all-providing for his children? Are you coming to Jesus in faith more and more frequently, more and more persistently than you did when you were first converted, I wonder? Are you like that man in Luke chapter 11 who comes to his friend's house at midnight after everyone's been put to bed and he knocks repeatedly, repeatedly. Even when the man says, look, I'm tired. We've gone to sleep. The kids are asleep. I'm not going to get up and help you. He keeps knocking. He keeps knocking. Are you like the, the widow in Luke chapter 18 who goes to that unrighteous judge time and time again until he gives her legal protection? You remember in that parable that Jesus tells there in Luke 18, he starts by saying, or Luke starts by saying, he, he told this parable to show that we should at all times pray and not lose heart. You see, faith seeks Jesus. Faith acts. Faith believes and works. Faith asks and seeks and knocks with greater and greater confidence in the Lord Jesus, particularly to Faith brings its friends to Jesus. Are you praying more and more for those who do not know the Lord, that they might know his forgiveness, that they might know his healing? Does prayer lead you in faith to share the gospel, to, to bring them to church, to, to bring them to a Bible study, to invite them to read the scriptures with you? Jesus is putting before us this question, are you like these men, full of faith? Are you growing in your faith? More and more, every day, every week, every month, your faith in the power and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first way that Luke wants to measure us. But the second way is this. Are you growing in your knowledge of your greatest need? Now, the text doesn't tell us, but I've often wondered what the friends thought about Jesus' initial response to their actions. It doesn't seem like they get a chance to say anything because of how the conversation unfolds between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. But I wonder if these friends had the look of the little French girl. No, no, Jesus, he's paralyzed. He needs his legs healed. No, they wouldn't have been that far up. They wouldn't have been yelling, right? He doesn't need his sins forgiven. He needs his legs healed. Why are you, why are you starting with... With the forgiveness of sins, this has nothing to do with this. But Jesus knows that it does. Jesus knows that, that his greatest need is for the forgiveness of sins. We have lots of needs, don't we? Are they really needs? Yesterday I was in a, a dressing room at Academy Sports, and I heard words from another dressing room next door that immediately transported me back to my childhood in Toys R Us or in the toy, toy line at Albertsons, I literally heard a mom say, now is this a need or is this a want? Like, do you need this or do you want, I mean, I, I'm not making this up. Like I hear a mom say, do you need this or do you want this? It's like, how many times did I hear that as a child? How many times have I said that as a parent, right? You want to yell out, you know, you go get a mama, like keep going, that's it, right? <laughs> It's a need or is it a want? So many of our needs are actually wants, aren't they? But Jesus here shows us that our, our deepest need, our, our deepest and truest need, the need beneath all our other maybe obvious needs, is to be forgiven, to be cleansed of all of our sins. 
Or to say it another way, our deepest need is a right relationship with God. For you see, as the Bible is clear throughout, sin separates us from God. Sin breaks that relationship. God is holy. And therefore, God cannot be in fellowship with sin or with sinners. And nothing we do can restore that relationship. Nothing we do can can make amends. Nothing we do can make up for what we've done wrong or what we haven't done right. You can't put the toothpaste, all of it, back into the toothpaste too. And God is holy. He can't just sweep sin under the rug. He can't just overlook it or ignore it or look the other way or act like it never happened. No, God is holy. He is just. Sin must be punished. Sin, every transgression of his holy law, of his holy character, must be dealt with righteously. But that's the beauty of the cross, isn't it? On the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, God has reconciled himself to sinners by punishing sin in Jesus. By punishing sin on behalf of all of those who put their trust in him. You see, whatever else you might think you need this morning, Jesus is telling us here in this story that you need your sins forgiven. You need to be restored to God. And if you do believe in him, if you do have faith, then your sins are forgiven. You have been saved from the wrath of God. But but this is not just a question that unbelievers need to ask. This is not just a Uh, something that unbelievers need to see, your deepest need. This is something that even believers, even Christians who have been saved for many, many years need to consider. Remember, ask the question, are you growing in your knowledge of your greatest need? See, if you're a believer, then every day should be a discovery of, of how sinful you are, of how much you need the forgiveness of God. Every day, the the Lord is, as it were, drawing back the curtain on all the sins, your sins, for which Jesus died on the cross. Just when you thought the coast was clear, right? Just when you thought you had figured all of life out, the Lord peels back another layer of your sinful heart. He confronts you with another strata of rebellion and of lawlessness and selfishness. He shows you new areas that have already been forgiven at the cross, but for which You are now called to repent and to to seek the forgiveness of the Lord, even as we've done in the Lord's Prayer this morning. And it's precisely in this area of our needs that are really wants that we often find those sins, that we find our heart being uncovered. We find those deep-rooted longings and lust that we think are needs but are really unlawful desires, over-desires for things that are good and of themselves, but that are themselves idols, functionally replacing God as the thing that we live for. It's the creature that gives us joy and peace and life and satisfaction rather than the creator. And if we get this thing or if we don't get this thing, that determines how our day goes. It determines how we treat other people. Perhaps for you, that idol of the heart, that, that lust, that longing, that need. Maybe it's respect. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's more pleasure or more money or more accomplishments or more recognition. Maybe it's even getting rid of the sorrow and the pain and the misery 
and the suffering that sin has brought into the world. Maybe that's the thing we think we need. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? The man comes to Jesus for healing and Jesus forgives his sins. In some way, Jesus is connecting sin and suffering, isn't he? Now, it's not necessarily the case that this man's paralysis was the result of some specific sin. To be sure, suffering in the Bible sometimes is directly connected to sin. Think of David's sin against Bathsheba. Uh, Think of uh, Jonah and his rebellion against God. Think of Israel in the wilderness. Think of uh, the the men and women in 1 Corinthians 11 who were sick and some have died because of their the way they were not loving one another and, and the way they were treating the Lord's Supper, maybe even the, the lame man in John chapter 5. But, but the Bible is also clear that, that oftentimes there's no direct relation between sin and suffering, right? Think of Job. Think of the man born blind in John 9. Think of Jesus himself. But even when there's no direct connection, all suffering, all misery, all pain, as a result of sin's entrance into the world through Adam's fall. And it's so easy to fall into the trap of wanting our suffering removed more than we want our sin removed, more than we want to be forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness. It's like we want the pain of the splinter gone, but we want the splinter to stay in, right? We, we want to enjoy the, the blessings of God, but not God himself. We want to stop feeling bad about our sin, but we don't want to have to stop sinning. But from the very beginning of the Christian life, until we die or until Jesus comes back, our greatest need is not going to be to have our suffering removed. Our greatest need is always going to be to have our sins forgiven, to be cleansed of all unrighteousness. And so Luke puts before us, when you read this story, does that make you a little upset that Jesus forgave his sins first? Right? Or are you growing deeper and deeper every day in a knowledge of your greatest need? And it is, in fact, this man's greatest need, the forgiveness of sins, being cleansed of all unrighteousness. So we've seen Luke ask us, are you growing in faith? Are you growing in your knowledge of your greatest need? Well, finally, He wants to ask us this question. Are you growing in your understanding of who Jesus is? Now, as I said, we don't know what the friends thought about Jesus' declaration that the man's sins were forgiven, but we explicitly know what the scribes and the Pharisees thought about Jesus' declaration that the man's sins were forgiven. Luke tells us they began to think within themselves, right? Not talking with one another, right? But thinking within themselves, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Their faces definitely would have looked like that little French girl. Are you kidding me? What did I just hear? What did he just say? But but, but their faces would have had sort of that that sense of astonishment, but with incredibly more shock. They were the religious leaders of Israel. They were the separated ones. They knew the law backward and forward. And they knew that what they had just heard is blasphemy. Who does this guy think he is? Jesus wasn't just assuring the man that he was forgiven the way that that the prophet Nathan had assured David that he was forgiven after he confessed his sin back in 2 Samuel. Jesus isn't just announcing that God had forgiven this man's sin. Jesus 
is forgiving the man's sins. He's claiming to forgive the man's sins himself. That's what they were hearing because that's what Jesus was doing. And this is blasphemy. It's an open defilement of God's majestic name. He's claiming divine prerogatives. He is, he is saying that he can do what only belongs to God to do. Of course, Jesus knows the question that's in their heart. It's the third miracle in this text, isn't it? And he challenges them directly. Look at verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? Now, maybe you've puzzled over that, that question that Jesus, you're like, all right, wait, let me try to get this straight. Which is easier? Which one is easier? Well, in a sense, they're, they're both easy to say, right? They're equally easy to say, to, to, to verbalize, right? Your sins are forgiven you. Rise and walk. But, but it's a whole lot easier to say your sins are forgiven you. Why? Because it can't be disproven, right? Look, his sins are forgiven. Well, how do I know? Right? It's easy to say that. It's a lot harder to say, rise and walk, because then if the guy still stays on his bed and didn't, doesn't get up, you're, you're clearly a fraud. You're clearly a charlatan, right? You're, you're clearly not what you're claiming to be. So what does Jesus do? He goes on and he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the man immediately gets up, picks up his cot, and leaves the house rejoicing and glorifying God. And then everyone looked like the little French girl, all right? Everyone, Luke tells us, amazement seized them all. They glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He who had already displayed his authority in teaching back in chapter 4, verse 32, and his authority over demons and unclean spirits, chapter 4, verse 36, now is showing, is affirming, is declaring, and is proving by his authority over a man's broken body that he also has authority over a man's broken soul. The scribes and the Pharisees were right. No one can forgive sins but God alone. But as we have seen in our Old Testament reading this morning from Daniel chapter 7, that son of man, that figure who was foretold in the Old Testament, has come to fulfillment in Jesus. He is the one who was given all authority, all dominion in heaven and on earth, over every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He is the one who would judge the nations. And so he is claiming the authority, divine authority, to forgive sins. God manifested in the flesh is here in this passage. That's his claim. And if he's not God, then the scribes and the Pharisees are right. He is blaspheming. He's certainly not a good person. He's not a good teacher. He's not someone that we should trust or follow or listen to. He's a liar. But if he is God in the flesh, if he possesses all authority in heaven and on earth, then that changes everything, doesn't it? There's a scene in uh, 
the movie Hoosiers that you may remember. That's when Coach Norman Dale uh, comes to the gym for the first time, and the old coach, George, is practicing with the team. And Norman comes in and essentially says, hey, look, I'm the new coach. You're fired. You know, you're gone. Your days of coaching are over. And uh, George kind of looks at him funny, and he, and he says this. He says, look, mister, there's, there's two kinds of dumb. There's a guy that gets naked and runs out in the snow and barks at the moon. And there's a guy who does the same thing in your house. The first one doesn't matter. The second one, you're kind of forced to deal with. You're kind of forced to deal with Jesus, aren't you? He's saying things that are crazy, lunacy, unless they're true. You see, no one really ever thought that Jesus was crazy. They always took him seriously. They thought he was a liar, a blasphemer. They never thought he was crazy. You're kind of forced to deal with Jesus and his claims. You're kind of forced to deal with who he says he is. He's either a liar or he is the everlasting Lord of glory in human form. He is who he claims to be. The Pharisees refuse to accept his claims, and they end up getting him crucified by the Romans for this very charge, blasphemy. Which brings us back to Jesus' question, which is easier? I said that it was easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one can disprove it. But isn't it the case that from the perspective of the cross, it's much harder to say your sins are forgiven? Because the forgiveness of sins only comes through Jesus' suffering and death. The divine Son of Man, who had the divine authority for, to forgive sins, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to be the suffering servant, the Lamb who was slain to take away the sins of the world, believers from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Are you growing in your knowledge of who Jesus is? Are you receiving and accepting and submitting to his authority in every area of your life? So as we come to the table this morning, Luke is asking, do you see a deepening faith in your heart? Do you see a growing recognition of your sinfulness, of your need of Jesus? And do you see a deepening knowledge of who the Savior is? That's one reason why the Lord has appointed this table. So we might grow in these areas, that we might grow in our love for our Savior. Let's pray together. And Father, we ask you that by your grace, you would help us to know you better, to know ourselves better, to grow in our faith and our hope and our love. The Lord, make us to be constantly and always an astonished and amazed people by virtue of what you do for us, sinners though we are. Lord, may that look of astonishment on the little girl's face, may it constantly be ours when we see your grace lavished upon us, when we see you forgiving our sins and healing us in every way. Lord, we long for full and complete healing of body and soul. But until that day comes when all things are made new, and the new heavens and the new earth, oh Lord, would you give us grace to seek you in faith 
to pray to you, to seek your spirit to help us to grow. We pray this all in your name. Amen.